Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter this morning, though we'll be focused on verses 11 through 16. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. The Apostle Paul has been teaching Pastor Timothy, what kind of situations he'll face as an elder uh, in the church in Ephesus and in the churches beyond Ephesus that he would be involved in. Some will fall away from the faith when they give attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. Liars with seared consciences will, will do that, will, will cause some to fall away from the faith by means of things like telling people not to marry and not to eat certain foods. So rather, the doctrines of demons should be countered by good Christian thanksgiving. Right? The apostle tells Timothy to point out these things to the brethren, to avoid worldly fables fit only for old women. Instead, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The pursuit of godliness um, holds promise not just for this life, but also for the life to come. And, he's, and, and Paul, 
the apostle is telling Timothy to strive for that. Verse 11 of chapter 4 pertains to those things that have just been mentioned that precede. Prescribe and teach these things. Pastor Timothy is to be a good servant of Christ Jesus by doing um, these two things um, that have preceded. Prescribe or command or order. And teach or instruct. Timothy is to command and teach these doctrines, the things that have preceded. To command and instruct. Command and instruct. It's all fine and good if Timothy were simply commanded by the Apostle Paul to teach, but he is also commanded to command. Right? I find it is much more comfortable to, uh, to live in the land of teaching than to live in the land of commanding. Right, that holds true for my work as a pastor, but, but also as, as a husband, as a father, and, and everywhere. Um, you, you always hear me say this, and I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it again next week, but we live in an age that hates authority. But corresponding to that is an unwillingness or, an, or now an inability to wield authority when we are given it. Right, a day and age that hates authority will then be unable to wield authority when they're given it. Um, pastors do not want to command. They are happy just to teach. It's much safer just to teach. Husbands and fathers do not want to command their households uh, to keep the way of the Lord. They're rather happy to keep everything to, to very pious suggestions. Right? The Apostle Paul knows that Pastor Timothy is going to face the very same temptation that all of us face when given authority. He will be tempted to make suggestions and teach facts and fill minds with knowledge about God, but will loathe having to exhort people to godliness. There's a significant difference between for example, a mother who goes to her kids and says, you know, isn't it interesting that scripture tells children to honor their father and their mother? Um, what does that mean for you, children? And a mother who says, honor me by being silent when I'm talking to other adults. Very specific application of honoring. And it's an exhortation. It's a command to that child. It's not a suggestion or some sort of generic teaching. You know, one is generic teaching and one is meant to be specific and appeal to the conscience. Fathers and mothers, do the words you speak to your children always take the form of questions? Would you consider or, or why can't you just or... You know, is it always suggestions, forms of question? Are you always making suggestions but never giving them clear directives? You know, and, and the reason we don't do that is because we hate authority and we think that directives are unloving. We think that clear speech and clear directives are simply unloving. I mean, I'm right about that, right? Right? 
Everyone who has ever had responsibility, which is pretty much everybody here on some level, knows that tension. Um, I can make suggestions and people will like me, or I can make directives and people are going to hate me. That's why you hate your bosses. Now that's, that's the situation we find ourselves in, and it's the situation in which Timothy was in, and the apostle tells Timothy to command and to teach, to command and to teach. He's being reminded to use his authority to command. He has an obligation to use command authority. You know, like there's something at stake Like there's something at stake in the lives of these people who are in the church, who are his sheep. This command to Timothy in no way, though, allows Timothy to, or anyone who wields authority, to be a jerk. Right? But it does not allow us as pastors and elders and fathers and mothers to avoid commanding. Should a pastor, a boss, a father, a mother, a husband avoid this in order to be liked? I mean, to do so would be terrible selfishness, wouldn't it? It would be terrible selfishness, doing all in your life so that you'll be liked. Uh, do you, and then conversely, do you allow yourself to be commanded? Are you willing to receive the command? Are, are you willing to receive exhortation? Are you really willing to receive being rebuked? It's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard. Especially if you had a parent, a mother or father, who was often a jerk to you and abusive. It is often easy for me to command my children around, but when the command comes to me, I'm like, who who does he think he is? You know? And my children respond that way, and they, they remind me of myself. Now think of this. How can we do this? Receive commands from others. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, obeyed his Father. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, obeyed his Father. His Father gave him work to do, and he obeyed. The Father commanded his Son, right? And his Son obeyed. His Son obeyed. Philippians 2 um, informs us, have this attitude in yourselves. That's the hard part of the passage. And then it's going to describe just the depth of that. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Son of God was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. He has always been obedient to the Father, though even one with the Father. And, and you and I receive a suggestion, if, and, and, it's, and we reject it if it's just phrased improperly, right? If the, someone comes to us with the wrong tone of voice. 
So have the proper attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus, and you will find yourself able by his grace to receive commands. And so it's simply this. Remember Jesus' obedience. Remember that he himself, the Son of God, received commands from his Father. Um, The Father prescribed things for the Son. But the command here is for Timothy to do the commanding and teaching. The teaching he does is to have an authoritative element that deals with the consciences of those under his fatherly care. He's to command them toward godliness, not simply fill their minds with knowledge about godliness. Right? That's the kind of knowledge that scripture never commends. Knowledge about godliness. Um, Scripture doesn't commend that kind of knowledge. It's knowledge that puffs up. Rather, Scripture commends a knowledge that is founded on the fear of the Lord that leads to godliness. Right? The fear of the Lord affects our behavior. Undoubtedly, when we have command authority, something else can inhibit our exercise of it. Right? If you have a situation in which you have by God's grace and by um, his calling, command authority. There are things that can um, inhibit the exercise of it. We feel not merely inadequate to the task, but we feel like we are disqualified for some peripheral reason. You know, it could be that we're commanding people who have way more experience than us. And so we think, I mean, I can't say anything here. That person has 40 years on the job, and I just got hired on. And yet, you're his boss. Right? And so, then we check out. Um, It could be our knowledge, right? Somebody has way more, somebody has been studying the scriptures for 60 years to my 10, right? Or 20. And and we think, okay, no no reason for me to remember my office, but um, I'll set aside my command authority. It could be also our age. It could be our age, right? The Apostle Paul knows this, and he is not ignorant of the problems that young Timothy will face in this regard. He writes, let no one look down on your youthfulness. How old is Timothy when he leads this church in Ephesus? He's probably, best we can tell, he's probably around 30, though he could be younger. There would be many people older than him in the congregation. Timothy might be, attempted to, might be tempted to avoid blessing them with authoritative teaching. He might want to deal, you know, he might not want to deal with the widows of the church or anyone older than himself. Right? In chapter 5, he's instructed how to treat the widows. But notice what the passage says. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Timothy is to make sure, and this is where it gets really awkward, Timothy is to make sure that others are giving him the respect he deserves as a servant of Christ. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. How is he to do that? How how in the world is he going to do that? Is, Is it by... Is he going to be the kind of, of leader who's constantly asserting his office? Right? Well, I'm your father. Well, there are times to do that. I'm your pastor. I'm your elder. 
That's why you're going to do this. Is it by constantly asserting his office and telling people that, that he's the man? Is it by sniffing out every negative feeling uh, toward him and then tweeting it, tweeting about it, like our commander-in-chief? No, that's not how he's going to let no one despise him or look down on him for his youthfulness. It is going to be by his own pursuit of godliness. That's how it will come, his own pursuit of godliness. The apostle writes, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Godliness is the path to respect. Godliness will be Timothy's path to respect. I mean, certainly that holds true in the church, or it should, shouldn't it? That should hold true in the church. Outside the church, it's a very different story. What does godliness lead to outside the church? Well, Paul writes about this in his second letter to Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So outside the church, godliness leads to persecution. Inside the church, godliness leads to respect. Being an example to the flock, to the regenerate, should lead to respect and honor. Um, How sad it is, though, when godliness leads to persecution in the church. Have you seen that happen? Godliness leading to persecution in the church. That should not be. So Timothy is to avoid disrespect by being respectful or respectable. Right? He is to be respectable, and that's how he will avoid disrespect. And the Holy Spirit gives us five areas in which Timothy was to prove himself an example. Speech, conduct, faith, or love, faith, and purity. The first two we take together, they essentially mean word and deed. Word and deed. He's going to be a man of, of um, words and actions. He is to speak and behave like one who fears God, like a believer, like Jesus Christ himself. He's not to be double-tongued. He's not to be a flatterer. He's not to be a slanderer. He's not to use filthy talk, not to be harsh in his use of speech, not to speak fables and myths to the, to the neglect of the doctrines of the word of God. He's not to be a hypocrite also in his behavior. A lurker by night, right? A lurker by night and a pastor by day. In a nutshell, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the deceits of lust, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So in word and deed, be a new man. Be the new man, not the old man. Then the next three, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of love. Scripture says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you, Ephesians 5. Do you love others? Do you love only yourself? Are you genuinely sympathetic for others? Do you, do you take other people's burdens upon yourself? As Christ took on himself the burden of your sin, 
right? That's love, to take on the burdens of others. Um, Faith or trust, are you an example of faith? Like those examples in Hebrews 11, God told Abraham to go and he went. Faith, right? I mean, that's what faith is. Um, God gave you a bit of trouble this week. Were you an example of faith in the midst of that trouble? Mary was, was telling me about her daughter, Carol, who we'll pray for today. Her daughter, Carol, who received a diagnosis of stage four pancreatic cancer this week. Right? And, and she is joyful. She's joyful even after hearing a doctor say she likely only has months to live. Um, that's faith. That's trust of God, right? That is all that that comes out of because if there weren't faith in God at that moment, she would be, she would be despairing and clinging to this life as if it was the only life she had. But she knows that's not true. She has faith. And so I'm, I am grateful to hear of that example of trust this week. Now let's continue to pray for her so that she perseveres in that faith and trust. Um, purity or chastity. This word here can mean purity or chastity. Uh, it's the same word that's used in chapter 5, verse 2. Treat the younger women as sisters in all purity or in all chastity. Um, this has a general meaning of with kindness and honor, but also a very specific meaning of with sexual purity. So are you men and women and children an example of chastity or sexual purity? Are, are passions being wrestled to the ground or are they mastering us? Right? Or are our thoughts pure? Can we relate to the opposite sex without there being flirtation? or any kind of impurity. This for young Timothy was important. Um, So much so that Paul returns to it in chapter 5. He's a young man, and his impurity will destroy the work he's doing in the church. I mean, men, do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel that... Do we feel that our leaven has the potential of leavening the whole lump? Um, but the truth of scripture is this, you can be pure. You can live in purity by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the new man. Um, How many scandals in this regard have I heard about? Pastors leaving their churches, pastors leaving their families, or, or pastors leaving the faith entirely because they want to give free reign to their impurity. Right? They, want to, they don't want to be an example of purity or chastity any longer. You've heard of scandals like that. I've heard of scandals like that. And all of us should be, should be sobered by every one of those scandals because we know our thoughts and we know our actions and we know our impurities. Timothy and all those who will lead the church must be an example to believers of speech, conduct, of word and deed, of love, faith, and chastity, love, faith, and purity. Remember that the Apostle Paul is intending to come to Ephesus. 
He's intending to be there on the ground. In chapter 3, Paul writes, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I'm delayed, here's, here's some teaching. In our passage today, he writes, Until I come, Timothy, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, and teaching. It appears that the Apostle Paul was going to take over those duties when he arrived, and that he would then take over the preaching and teaching and uh, the reading duties when he arrived, or at least share them with Timothy. Um, And Timothy was not to then wait until Paul got there to start those works. Timothy was to um, not show deference to Paul and wait. He was to uh, get to work. Exhortation and teaching we've looked at, but see that they are repeated here. This is to be Timothy's work. Then we have reading. Uh, the NASB that, that I, we read from supplies words, and you see them here in italics. At least they're honest enough to admit when they are adding words to enhance meaning. So they put editorial words that help explain the context in italics so that you know that they're not there in the original. And so they add this, this public reading of scripture. The Greek is just simply says reading. Um, the other two times this word is used, Acts 13.15 and 2 Corinthians 3.14, it refers to the reading of the Old Testament scripture in the synagogue publicly. So it is clear that the word essentially means the public reading of scripture as it's translated. Um, I've spoken recently about this in our context before the scripture readings in our worship services. Um, One of the works of pastors is the simple work of giving himself to the public reading of scripture. Uh, That is why we read whole chapters of scripture and why there is is scripture from beginning to end in our services, um, not to mention the fact that, you know, we believe in sola scripture and all those reform principles. But we're given a command to give attention to the public reading of scripture. Um, you know, an, another matter in this regard, I consider the way a man reads scripture in public, and I say this as one who had to trip through a bunch of um, Babylonian names, You know, the Lord uh, humbles pastors that way. Um, I consider the way a man reads scripture in public to be one of the first indications that he's called to the ministry. Um, You can tell whether a man has an understanding of scripture simply by the way he reads it, right? And, and and, And then beyond that, whether he has any heart in what he's reading, any, any, um, depth of feeling when he reads scripture. One of the things um, I used to work on with men in our pastor's college in Toledo was reading scripture. Um, It was often really agonizing, you know, to go over and over a passage to get somebody to read it with just the, I mean, common emphasis, that's right, but then beyond that, to read it to give an understanding of the passage. And, um, and, And so, Often in the reading of a passage, it has as much to do with the hermeneutics, the, the meaning of the passage, as it does with eloquence and just the ability to express yourself. Um, and so many of the men had to practice and learn how to do this as far as reading 
you know, and the, and the movement of their mouth and uh, hermeneutics. But whether or not they had a heart for scriptures, well, that, that can't be taught. I mean, you just can't teach somebody to be, um, you know, to, to be into scripture. Um, that is, I think, a work of the Holy Spirit, right? That is the Holy Spirit illumines the mind and gives you understanding of scripture and helps you to uh, feast and chew upon it. So up to this point, the apostle has reminded the pastor to pursue inward and outward piety, to be godly and to teach what leads to godliness. He must also be careful not to neglect something the Lord had given to him. Paul writes, verse 14, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Okay, so what does that mean? At um, the public laying on of hands, this laying on of hands by the presbytery, it appears that at his ordination, Timothy received a spiritual gift. A gift that, when it came to him, was accompanied with prophetic utterance, some some declaration of the utility of that gift that he was receiving. I think that's what the prophetic utterance was. Timothy, you're going to do this, and you're you're going to. This is what you will do in the church. Now, what was this gift that Timothy received? At the beginning of Paul's second letter to Timothy, we read the following, verse 6 and 7 of chapter 1. So pay attention to this. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Of power and love and discipline. So Paul, interesting to note, Paul um, participated in that ordination of Timothy. He says, the laying on of my hands. The gift of God is mentioned again. And so what was the gift? Many say that this was simply a gift of equipping him for ministry. Whereas other men have, um, you know, other men get that gift through training and trial. Timothy received it specially. Timothy received the equipping for the work of the ministry specially by the prophetic utterance of God from heaven and the laying on of hands in ordination. You know, certainly I think it was a special equipping for the work of ministry he was, was doing. Setting up churches where he would have authority as a young man over strangers and men who were older than him. This extraordinary ordination would give him authority. The prophetic utterance would give him authority. The, the extraordinary nature of all these things would help him to do his task. So this extraordinary ordination would bestow on him this authority. But the particular gift, not just the manner of the gift, would help him to do that work. So taking in the phrase in verse 7 of 2 Timothy 1, I think we are given a a description of what he received. He received a spirit not of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. That's what he received. Um... Often people read the phrase, that phrase in 2 Timothy and say Paul was trying to encourage a timid Timothy. Like Timothy was a, a, a sort of a shy and retiring sort of man. And 
and I, you know, in response to that, I say, well, who isn't timid when you have to to set up churches in strange cities with strangers? I mean, everybody would be timid in that situation. Um, but perhaps it is describing when what Timothy left behind when he was ordained. He went from timid to powerful, loving, and self-disciplined. Right? He, that certainly would be the kinds of gifts he would need to have in order to fill, fulfill the ministry that God had given to him. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't think that is an uncommon gift that accompanies ordination. I think that's a gift that often accompanies ordination. Um, I know men that were timid, but after being trained, tried, and ordained, they became pastors, fierce elders, or, or compassionate deacons, more so than they were before the laying on of hands. Um, perhaps God ordinarily accompanies ordination with that kind of grace. Of course, that gift, like the efficacy of the sacraments, would be nothing without faith, right? But when, when ordination is accompanied by the faith of the man being ordained, ordination blesses a man for ministry. But notice that the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to um, not neglect that gift, not neglect. In his sermon on this passage, Calvin says, God wants to be honored when he gives us his blessings. God wants to be honored when he gives us his blessings. And so if we keep them under and so smother them that they are not known, it is as much as if a man should cast a treasure into the water. If God has blessed you with a gift and you have hidden that gift, or if you've failed to properly recognize your true gift, then you are essentially taking some blessing that God has given and casting it out of your presence. Saying to God that, that, is, that it's unnecessary. You know, our, think, of, think of it this way. Let's get specific. Are you compassionate to those who are suffering? Well, not all are. Okay, not all are. I can tell you that. Not all are compassionate to those who are suffering. But if you are, that is a gift from God that he has given in his church that should be used. Right? Are you a good listener? Not all of us are good listeners. But if you are, that's a gift that God has given to you. And you should put it to use. Right? Are you, uh, are you a good encourager? Not all of us are. Not all of us are good encouragers. Are you artistic? Certainly not all of us are artistic. You know, are, um, do you love children? Not all of us do. Do you love children? Um, do you love older people? Not all of us do. Right? And, and do you, uh, are you hospitable? Not all of us are, and, and on and on we could go through those, those lists, and, and not all of us are all of those things, but all of us together are all of those things, right? All of us together in the body. And so these gifts are really quite necessary to the church. Um, to not use them is to take God's blessings and throw them away, and to neglect them is to not give others the blessings that, that came to you from God for their building up. Remember, God gave 
those gifts not for yourself, that you might glory in your giftedness. He gave you gifts that you might bless others with those gifts. Now, will you be a blessing to others, or will you continue to think only of yourself? Timothy's neglect of God's blessings would have led to a a weak church in Ephesus. And if you aren't using your blessing, that will lead to a weak Trinity church, right? If you aren't using your gift. The Apostle Paul then concludes this section of his letter by passionately urging Timothy to give himself wholeheartedly to this work. Look at the verbs he uses in verses 15 and 16. Take pains, be in them, pay close attention, persevere. I mean, the apostle is exhorting Timothy to faithfulness. He says, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, persevere in these things. So this is like, this is Paul like giving Timothy his marching orders, isn't it? He's not to deviate from that plan. He is to give himself to all that the Holy Spirit has laid out in chapter 4, pointing out sin, teaching sound doctrine, avoiding worldly myths, and disciplining himself for the purpose of godliness. So those four things, think of that. Recognize sin, know the word, hate the world, pursue godliness. Those are the marching orders of every Christian, right? Let alone the minister of the word. Are you making progress in any of those areas? Um, You're not recognizing sin, and so you keep on committing the same sins, perhaps. You're not learning the word, and so you're lacking wisdom and, and direction. You're not hating the world, and so you're becoming worldly. You're not pursuing godliness, and so you're, you're stagnant. You're, you're, you're backsliding in the faith. But, but make progress in all those areas, brothers and sisters. Why? For the same reason that Timothy is given a reason for taking pains with these things. Look what he says. Paul says, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Take pains with these things. Persevere in them. Work hard so that you might ensure yourself that you're saved. You might ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Do you want to have assurance of your faith? Assurance of your salvation. Take pains in those four things I mentioned. Mothers, do you want to ensure the salvation of your children? Those who hear you. Take pains to teach them to recognize sin, to know the word, to hate the world, and to pursue righteousness. Take pains in them, and take pains in yourself to show those things. Peter says it this way, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, all those things he listed, you will never stumble. 
For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And all of us lazy 21st century Christians get exasperated by statements from Scripture that tell us to work. That tell us to make an effort in the pursuit of godliness. And we all say in our heads, Pastor, give us some grace. Give us some grace now. Now that we've come to the the end of Scripture's lists and exhortations, can we have some grace? And here's the grace I'll give you. This This is not at all a prescription for saving yourself. This is no works righteousness. Jesus saves by his sovereign grace. But this is the prescription to assuring oneself of his choosing of you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Take pains with the pursuit of godliness. Buffet your body and make it your slave. By the power of the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. And as you wage warfare and have some victory, you will prove... You will prove what? You will prove that you are an adopted son of God. We don't remove effort from the Christian life when we are everywhere in Scripture exhorted to effort. We fight, but the odds are stacked in our favor because the Spirit abides in his people. Right? And he makes he... The Spirit makes the fighting effectual. He makes it effective. Right? Amen? Do we say amen to that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit's exhortations in Scripture. We thank you that the Apostle Paul was inspired to exhort Timothy, and through that exhortation, the Spirit is exhorting all Christians. Father, we pray that we would take pains and be absorbed and persevere in our pursuit of godliness because that pursuit is profitable in this life and the life to come. Father, I pray that you would would be merciful to your, your children. As we are adopted into your household, Father, we desire to live in a way that will glorify you that will give honor to Jesus who died for our sins. And and so, Father, I pray that as we pursue godliness, that you would, that the Spirit would be at work purifying us. And through that, we would have a depth of assurance in our salvation that is new, that is deeper, that is stronger. Father, bless us richly as we make this pursuit to the glory of your son and in gratitude for his work. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.